Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by JMFA. Before we get started today, I want to mention that this podcast is intended for JMFA clients and not meant to provide legal advice. I'm Maggie Thompson, Client Success Manager, and today I have Cheryl Lawson, Executive Vice President of Compliance, and Jennifer Peoples, Director of Implementation. Ladies, how are you doing today? Oh my goodness, it's a great day. Indeed it is. Doing great, Maggie. Thank you. I'm so happy to hear, and thank you for being with me again. I brought the both of you today to talk about something that I think we all fear, demand letters. (laughs) And Cheryl, could you tell us a little about what a demand letter is and what the components of a demand letter are? Absolutely. While, While JMFA is certainly not a law firm, we have seen a number of demand letters that have been shared with us by our clients. There are some common themes that I've observed Uh, The letters all refer to a consumer with an account in the financial institution, and that consumer has been uh, assessed overdraft fees in the account. The letters all reference one or more transactions in the consumer account that will be used by the lawyer to argue that the financial institution has caused harm. The letters also list the number of cases which they assert are relevant to their argument. These letters are demand letters. So they all demand that the financial institution respond by a certain time. In most cases, they propose the creation of a class action on the basis of their argument. Now, demand letters can certainly be scary, of course, but typically the law firm who sends the demand letter doesn't really understand the financial institution's overdraft program or the technology involved in paying items into the overdraft. They are operating a kind of phishing operation where they solicit unhappy consumers who give them a copy of bank statements to try and build a case. If the financial institution is doing what they should, as recommended by JMFA, we can help. Jennifer, kind of went through that quickly. Is there anything you think I missed in what we see in our demand letters that clients share with us? No, I think that very clearly is a great overview of what we normally see. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, now, when a, one of our clients receive one of these demand letters, what, what should they do? How should they take action? Well, in our opinion, of course, any demand letter that a client receives should first be shared with a JMFA representative. Uh, it may be that the, the person interacts with the salesperson first or perhaps with their relationship manager, but whoever they get it to will get it ultimately to me. Our compliance department will undertake an internal review to assist the client financial institution in responding to the demand letter. Uh, Sometimes that assistance can involve collecting information from the uh, institution, and it may take us several days to get our work done to make sure that we've got something to share back with our client. But what we do is we first kind of look at the letter, and then we look to see what the circumstances associated with that consumer account all look like. Okay, so we really kind of try to understand the information in front of us from that letter. And then could you tell me a little bit about the contents of what we provide back to our clients to help them? Well, um, let's remember that part of what we're doing is we're doing a kind of a forensic audit of that consumer's account history with the financial institution. And within the letter from the lawyer, there's always a set of dates. They say, you know, on this date, the consumer had a transaction. So we absolutely investigate 
the transaction activity referenced in the letter, but we look more deeply at what were the consumer's um, uh, communications that we received, that we shared with the consumer, uh, what disclosures did the consumer receive. We make sure that if there were notes tracked on the consumer account, perhaps during our collections process for overdrawn activity, uh, we review those. We, we communicate back to our client any questions that we have. There may be technology questions associated with their core, for example, in the handling of overdraft transactions. So we work fairly closely with senior management in our client institution and with their operations department to determine exactly what the circumstances of that consumer account have been and whether the institution delivered fully on the compliant solution the JMFA recommended. I think it's a little bit easier to explain if I kind of use an example. Okay. Recently, a financial institution received a demand letter that the consumer had been charged a fee, an overdraft fee, when the item had been authorized on good funds. After This is the probably most common circumstance we see today, and that is the transaction uh, authorizes when there's money in the account. And then later, when the item actually settles into the account, the money has been depleted, perhaps by other transactions. And when that occurs, the institution should not charge a fee. That's the circumstance that the lawyers are finding most often to claim that the consumer was charged a fee when the item should not have been assessed a fee. So in this circumstance for our client, after analysis, we looked at their core, we looked at their transaction activity, we looked at the account on that particular consumer. After analysis, we determined that the core system had been implemented in a way to avoid assessing any fees in error in that case. And so even though that may not happen for every financial institution every single time, it is true that our best practices recommended to our clients have reduced that institution's risk of being guilty of having a fee assessed in error. And if our clients have, have implemented our recommendations fully, then the claim of the demand letter kind of goes away. Uh, we can't guarantee that once a lawyer knows your name and address, he won't try to do something more. But if the claim in the demand letter is unfounded, based on that internal forensic analysis that we do, it gives the client financial institution a much better leg to stand on. Sounds like uh, we really take an in-depth approach to helping them understand the contents of that letter and everything they've done to protect themselves. And I think that's wonderful. So my, my follow-up question to that, Cheryl, is, uh, once we maybe provide all this information back to our clients, you know, the things that their core has done for them, recommendations they've implemented, you know, the, the documentation they have on their consumers, um, what are the next steps for the client and then also for us to monitor for them? Well, I'm going to give a piece of this answer, but I'm going to ask Jennifer to kind of help me out on this. I, I will tell gotcha. you that our goal is to support our financial institution clients. And when a demand letter comes, we are immediate in action. We take a thorough review of everything that we can find. If the client had not followed our recommendations and they were missing something in their disclosures, we're aggressive about trying to suggest that that be incorporated moving forward. And what we give to them 
is essentially a document that their attorney, their local counsel, will be able to use to substantiate a response to the demand letter. If the demand letter said we were doing A and the analysis proves we are not, then the lawyer for that client financial institution can communicate, there's nothing to see here, you know, go away. Uh, the objective, of course, is to reduce the burden on the financial institution, avoid financial burden uh, to the client for their lawyer or for any kind of penalty costs associated with this, this claim, and essentially put it all to bed. That is our goal. So that's kind of what we think of as the next steps. We are equipping the client to respond. But then there's the work that happens on the implementation side, and that's why I think Jennifer and I can kind of agree, once we found out what's going on, we may have work to do on our side to support our client. Jennifer? Yes, Cheryl, absolutely. Some, some good advice for our clients, you know, to not only, you know, once they've received a demand letter, but also in as steps to hopefully help prevent receiving a demand letter in the first place are number one, completing those compliance questionnaires that you're going to periodically receive from JMFA. When we get those back, that really helps us to identify if there's any uh, gaps in a, in a process. Um, sometimes, you know, financial institutions make decisions to change certain processes without really understanding the impact that it could have from a you know, compliance standpoint on their overdraft programs. So um, please respond when you get those questionnaires um, as thoroughly and in, in a timely manner as possible, uh, because that'll give us a chance to help make adjustments as needed. Also, um, in your contract with JMFA, you'll find in every contract there's a requirement to send a regular compliance mailing. Uh, usually that's two to three times per year, but please check your JMFA uh, contract or or check with your JMFA relationship manager if you have any questions about the timing of that. But these compliance mailings are really critical to help ensure that you know your account holders fully understand your overdraft program, they understand the rules of the program, and that sometimes there are updates to the disclosure language that we need to get in their hands. And so, for example, back in 2017, there was an interagency meeting, Cheryl, correct me if I'm wrong, it's at 2017, 2016, uh, where the subject of available balance was first raised by you know, the CFPB, the NCUA, the FDIC, and the Fed. Um, and essentially, you know, as a result of that meeting, even prior to, we had language in our letters regarding available balance, but we we modified it, you know, with even some more um, clarification, just to make sure that our that our clients were, you know, um, protected and that their consumers had, you know, good understanding and clarity on how the available balance is used to uh, pay items and how that affects when overdraft or NSF fees may be assessed. So sending these letters out is really critical. I know that you know sometimes you know there may be a you know a tendency to think that it's over communication, but uh, in reality it's it's really a very necessary. Um, and then the other uh, suggestion that we have is to really use your privilege manager software um, in all of your communications with your um, account holders. It really helps. Uh, to document uh, when we need to go back and, and, and show that we've sent letters to the account holder. Uh, also, 
uh, when you make your phone calls, if you're using the Privilege Manager software to document the notes on those calls, um, it's very powerful to be able to pull those um, letters, the history of those letters, and include that in the materials that we supply in response to a demand letter. But again, if you are using these, you know, the Privilege Manager software and using it, sending the letters and making the calls on the schedule that GMFA recommends, then you're much less likely to um, encounter, you know, an account holder or consumer that, you know, claims that they are not aware of, of fees or, or just had, you know, just didn't really understand how the program was working. Um, also, you know, use a lot of caution when you, if you ever are thinking about, you know, maybe discontinuing turning or turning off one of those letters um, or changing the parameters for those letters, please always, you know, consult with your GMFA relationship manager before you do that because there are considerations to keep in mind. So um, those are the kind of the three things that I would say are the most critical, you know, your compliance questionnaires, your regular compliance mailings and using privilege manager. Uh, to help, you know, number one, hopefully prevent you from, you know, receiving de a demand letter in the first place because you've got had good communication with your account holders. But, you know, if a demand letter comes, then this provides, you know, supporting information uh, to help help you in defense of that. Um, so, you know, as as a call to action, I would just, you know, suggest to everybody, please, you know, reach out to your uh, JMFA relationship manager and discuss the most recent compliance updates from JMFA, um, like that, for example, may have covered the representment of items. Um, you know, the fact that you may charge an NSF fee if an if an item is represented a second time against insufficient funds. Uh, also, the um, available balance um, topic and the fact that, you know, if a debit card transaction is authorized on uh, positive balance, it may be possible that a fee would be assessed if there are insufficient funds when the item posts. While we recommend waiving the fee in those circumstances, if your core is not able to do it yet, the next best thing you can do is make sure you're disclosing it to your uh, account holders. And um, always, you know, you know, look at your, you know, when you reach out to your JMFA relationship manager, then we can help ensure that your letters have the most recent um, you know, language and that the most recent recommendations have been, been implemented. Well, that, I believe that's an excellent call to action, Jennifer. Thank you for all of that information um, and Cheryl to understand, you know, what our clients should do when they receive that information and, and the best practices and good advice for them. So before we wrap up today, ladies, I wanted to ask you, are there any additional thoughts that you have that you might like to leave us with? Well, you know, Maggie, one thing that I think is important to say is that a demand letter does not, by its presence, indicate a financial institution is doing something wrong or even that consumers are being harmed. Um, you know, I said earlier that, that these letters are kind of like fishing. The, the, the financial institutions in the marketplace are all being considered, maybe the largest ones first, because maybe they have the deepest pockets. And what I want clients to understand is you may not be doing anything wrong and yet a demand letter appears. Um, and so when they come, the first action should be to assume the right, that you're in the right, that there's nothing that you've done that you shouldn't have done, and that the institution has followed directions from JMFA and therefore you have a compliant solution. 
um, Jennifer's comment earlier about, you know, don't make substantive changes to the program without talking to the relationship manager can't be overstated. Uh, if an institution decides to stop sending um, compliance mailings or if they don't send out, you know, collection letters or if they don't make telephone calls, it weakens our ability to respond to the demand letter. Even though hopefully no one will get one, if you should get one, you want as much ammunition as you can possibly have to be able to respond. So the kind of final comment I would make is a demand letter doesn't mean you've done something wrong, but you want to have, you know, the, the armor in place to be able to respond and have that lawyer or that law firm go away when they realize everything you're doing completely responds to and is fully compliant with current direction and guidance. Great. And Jennifer, any final thoughts from you today? No, I think Cheryl's uh, comments really encapsulated and summarized the um, situation. Again, you know, just because you receive one of these letters doesn't mean, you know, your financial institution's done anything wrong. And so, but, but, you know, following, you know, these suggestions we've made during this podcast can help us uh, help you, you know, respond to the demand letter and again, hopefully prevent you from receiving future demand letters. Excellent. Thank you. And just as a quick reminder, again, I want to mention that this podcast is intended only for JMFA clients and not meant to provide legal advice. And I want to thank you, Cheryl and Jennifer, for being with me today to discuss this very important ongoing topic. If you would like additional information about anything you've heard today, or if you would like your relationship manager to contact you for a review, please complete the form below. Until next time.